In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When you compare Isaiah's prophecy in the Old Testament reading tonight from chapter 35 to Jesus' words to his disciples in the Holy Gospel from Luke chapter 18, you wonder if Isaiah and Jesus are talking about the same thing. Isaiah sounds like an outtake from the movie Patton. It almost sounds like something that General George S. Patton Jr., played by George C. Scott, would say at the beginning of the movie. Strong hands, firm knees, be strong, fear not. God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And you expect all of the people who are behind our Lord to go, Yeah, let's go! Now you would expect maybe the disciples to have that same reaction when they hear Jesus tell them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and would be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Kind of makes us wonder why the disciples don't go, Yes, Jesus, we're ready to follow you all the way to Jerusalem. We're ready to see all of this that happens. But their strong hands become weak. Their firm knees start knocking. Their weakness and fear make their hearts thump in their chests. This is not what they have been prepared for. They are not alone. We are not prepared for it either. For we think, man, if I was there, I would be the first to stop all the authorities from doing what they're going to do to Jesus. I'd be ready to fight for my Lord. Not what Jesus has come to this world in his incarnation to do, to have you or anybody else stop the proceedings. In fact, St. Luke tells us that when Jesus lays this on his disciples, and by the way, this is the third time in about nine chapters that Jesus has said exactly these things. He's told them exactly how it's going to go down in Jerusalem. They understood none of these things, Luke tells us. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. They, like you, like me too, are unprepared for what is about to happen. Of all people, the disciples should have known what Jesus told them. It's not as if our Lord has awakened them early and said, Gentlemen, get out a writing utensil and get out your scroll. I have a pop quiz on prophecy for you today. They have had time to be prepared. Yet everything that Jesus tells them seems to make no impact. Unlike the disciples in Luke chapter 18, you and I have approximately 2,000 years of hindsight to look at in the scriptures. If we add Isaiah's words, put another 700 years on that. 2,700 years. So we have had time to strengthen ourselves for what lies ahead. Still, we are not ready to be ear witnesses once again to the death and life that contend in that combat stupendous. 
One look at the remainder of Isaiah's words in chapter 35 gives a hint as to why we might not be ready. Isaiah commands us, be strong, do not fear, because the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. It's no wonder that our Lord heals a blind man immediately after telling his disciples, again, for the third time, what is about to happen. The disciples, sojourners, intimates of the Savior for the last three years still don't get it. The blind man sitting by the side of the road gets it. He gets it because he calls Jesus something that not everyone would call him. If he were to say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me, well, certainly we would understand that. Jesus, yes, he's from Nazareth. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, have mercy on me? Yeah, we know that he's born in Bethlehem. Where's he get this Jesus, son of David business? That's clutch. That's messianic. That's what you call the Savior. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him, hey, knock it off, man. Can't you tell Jesus is coming by? He doesn't want to hear blind people yelling at him. So he yells all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops dead in his tracks. How does a blind guy see? When the disciples who have 20-20 vision for the most part don't see a thing. If you look at the crowd that's standing there, seeing all this go down, and you look in the back row of the crowd, because that's where the Lutherans hang out, you'll find yourself there, in the back row. And I'm back there standing with you. Vicar's there too. We're probably not yelling out, knock it off, can't you see Jesus is coming by? Because we're still kind of in stunned silence over what Jesus has laid on us for the third time now. It's a lot like when you and I open up the scriptures, if we even bother opening up the scriptures at home in the first place. That already is a leap of faith. Because if you've read the Bible any more than what you've come to hear at church from the lectern, you realize really fast that when you open up the scriptures, it ain't easy to read. And when you do read it, you try to understand it. Maybe you've followed a reading program, going to read through the Bible in a year. So you get about, oh, six weeks into it and you're ready to throw the thing against the wall. Or maybe you've decided, I'm going to take it just like one book. Let's coming up. 40 days. Let's see. What could I read over the span of 40 days? Um, I think I'll take one of the Gospels, maybe John 21 chapters, and I'll do like half a chapter a day. Or I'll read a chapter a day twice through. And you read John's Gospel twice through, and you get to Easter Sunday, and you get the resurrection and all that happens afterward, and you're still sitting there going, nope. Oh, what in the world is that? 
Or you take up one of Paul's epistles, say you take up Romans or Galatians or Ephesians, and you're like, well, maybe I'll read uh, the book of Paul's letters through Lent. And so you do. And then he's like, well, Paul talks about different things at different times, and he's going on all these different tangents, and he's talking about places he's been or places he's wanting to go or places he will go. And I have so many questions. I don't understand it. I don't understand a thing. Jesus wept? Oh, I can understand that. He is risen? Get that one too. But some of the harder stuff? I mean, the Old Testament? Vicar's been walking us through the minor prophets, and yeah, they repeat themselves a lot, but they have different ways of saying things. Because when they say one thing, They're talking about something else. And you had to know the context of what they lived in at that time and where they lived and things like that. It's one of the reasons why we studied the scriptures together as a congregation. But we don't understand it. Our eyes are blind. Maybe it's because we want to see what isn't there. Or maybe we want to see something there and it isn't there. And the blind man, he sees without seeing. It's no fair. But blessed is he. Because the blind man gets to teach us something today. Even in our fear and trembling before Isaiah and Jesus' words, you too also see without seeing. It's not really a handicap. Yeah, you're not there that day. You're not an eyewitness of Christ's miracles in his preaching. But you, however, have something that Peter talks about in his second epistle. You and I have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The scriptures... Show us Jesus. He's all over the place. We just have to find him. And it's not as if we have no help. The Holy Spirit works through that word that is heard and read. And he will show us Jesus. He will open our eyes. And what's the first thing that we see when we open our eyes? Same thing the blind man saw. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And the first thing he sees is Jesus, son of David. Someone he's never seen before. Someone he's only heard before. But now he sees him with his own eyes for the first time. And what does he do? He gets up and goes. He walks all the way with the disciples. I can tell you many times in my own life, and perhaps you and I can swap stories someday, about the fight-or-flight syndrome that we have when we see Jesus in the scriptures. Sometimes for the first time. 
We've had those times too when we've run away from it when we see him. I can tell you that my success rate when I do not talk to the Lord Jesus about something that weighs down my conscience and I think I can take care of it, goose egg. That's my success rate. Jesus knows you'll fail. Jesus knows you are a sinner. Sinners fail to see Jesus. And he knows that you will do like all of the disciples save one, John. You will run away. You will leave him when he needs you most. But he knows it. He knows you'll shake your head at the whole thing and you'll think that he's crazy going through with it. But he goes through with it anyway. Why? Because he loves you in spite of yourself. In spite of your sin. In spite of your death. In spite of your trying to follow the devil all the time. In spite of your not having your eyes opened or your ears opened to see and to hear him, he still loves you. And he still dies for your sin. All of them, including the one of turning your back on him. Time and time again, that too is covered in the blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all sin. That's called grace. One way love from above. Upon sinners. It's what we've been looking at over the last three weeks. Getting our hearts ready for Ash Wednesday in just 48 hours. Unconditional one-way love. The power of the seed that is the word of God sown upon receptive soil. And now our eyes are open to see Jesus. The reason why we have a Lent, an Easter, a Christmas, an eternity. This one-way love is the thing that strengthens feeble knees and makes hands strong again. This is the one-way love that says to you today, be strong, fear not. He's stealing your courage. Because there is a journey ahead of us. And you get a front row seat for the whole thing. How about that? You get to hear Jesus suffer and die for your sins again. Oh yeah, pastor, I've heard the story every year, year after year. It's Lent. Lent is depressing. Lent's not depressing. Lent sweeps out all the crud in our life. And we claim it. So that Jesus can bleed all over it. And forgive it. And bury it. And give you everlasting life. And forgiveness. And even better. A good conscience. Something that the devil works double overtime on every day. To make your conscience nasty. Jesus makes it good. All these things, beloved, he does for you. Yeah, I know, pastor. Yeah, for everybody. I know he died for all. He died.
died for you too. You, where you're at, who you are, sinner though you are, he died for it. And he opens your eyes tonight to see the whole thing again. Hands firm, knees stable, eyes and ears seeing and listening to Jesus at work in his word, in baptismal water that covers you, in bread and wine shown for us to be his very body and blood. He will come and save you. That's Lent. That's something to be joyful about. We can have joy in Lent. Oh, yes, you can. Because we are an Easter people. And that A word, the one we don't say right now, that's our song. Even in Lent, that's our song. He will come and save you. And here he comes. And here we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.